welcome to a grad chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's A Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and a CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you may miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFRC podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to in introduce you to Dr. Alcum Karagach, who is a postdoctoral fellow in the Geography and Planning Department under the supervision of Dr. Dan Cohen. Welcome to Grad Chat, Alcum. Thank you. Hello, Colette. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Now, one of the reasons we also wanted Alcum to come on the show is the fact that this week is the annual Global Education at Queen's Conference which is on the 9th and 10th of November. And of course, the theme this year is listening, sharing and learning, international experiences and the future of education. So I do suggest if you get a chance, check out the calendar of events on the Quick website or the Queen's website. And uh, of course, most of them will be happening in our University International Centre Quick's offices in Mitchell Hall if you are here in Kingston. So, first of all, what is the importance of holding a conference like this outcome for you in particular? I, mean, I know you're not a student, but you are a postdoc. Yes. Um, what's the importance for you? I do think, you think I've been an international student for uh, the most part of my journey here in Canada. So I think it is a wonderful thing that they are organizing like uh, um, the student academic success services and international center there'll be a lot of interactive presentations panels so i think it will this is a way of kind of celebrating and appreciating and acknowledging in the first place the global experiences of uh, students international students educators mm -hmm and share and learn from each other. I think it's, it is a great opportunity on that. And, and I think, uh, yeah, that, that is a really nice step, a welcoming step on the institution side. Yeah, the whole thing is important. And, and sometimes we forget, we, sometimes when we talk about the Queen's University International Centre, that it's only for international students. But the whole point of being at a university is to... People, as you said, people to learn from each other about different cultures, etc., and not just the culture of where the university resides. It should be a two-way streak, one learning or reciprocated, one learning about the Canadian culture in this instance, and another one learning about someone else's culture. So we should all be learning along the way on that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's an international place. Universities are, I always see it that way. Mm -hmm. And and it makes conversations absolutely fascinating, which is another great reason to be working at an academic institution. As you said, you are international here. You, you're not a Canadian citizen or permanent resident. Where did you do your undergraduate degree? And, and, and what were kind of the areas of study that you did that's eventually led you to doing a postdoc? Okay. Um, before I begin, I that I am actually a Canadian citizen. Oh, my apologies. No, no, uh, no worries. Uh, it has just happened like this past month. Actually. Oh, congratulations! That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I've been uh, an international student since 
I started my PhD in 2017 at the University of Waterloo uh, in Canada. Um, and then along the way, permanent residency and then citizenship came. So it's, right. it's like a long journey, but it's a journey of many, many international students here in Canada. So, and my, a part of my research also looks at that topic, like how international students make a home in Canada. Right. Uh, so in terms of my journey here and starting from, I guess, Turkey, I am, I'm from Turkey and I've been an international student on and off. Um, I did my bachelor's uh, in Ankara and then uh, I moved to the UK for my master's and then went back to my home. Uh, I worked in Ankara and Istanbul in development sector doing policy and planning in governmental and non-governmental organizations. And then I decided, I thought, you know, I want to pursue an academic career. I want to share. I'm an, a research-oriented person. I like examining things, questioning, and, you know, uh, writing and teaching. So I thought this is a path, this can be a path for me. And I applied for a PhD in Canada. I wanted to ex experience a, an international PhD, uh, and I wanted to work with uh, Dr. Nancy Worth uh, in Waterloo. So it was a perfect match uh, for me. After my PhD, I, like with the, the entire journey of, you know, PR and citizenship, I, I like Canada. I, the, I love this country. I like people. And I also found really, uh, as we were talking about, an international home here. It's not right. like just Canada itself, but the connections, the network, people I share ideas with. So Queens with uh, Dan Cohen, he's great. And we are working again with international students uh, this time on international students' experiences of finances and indebtedness, how they finance their education year and, and certain, you know, challenges they face along mm -hmm. the way. So, yeah, it's, it's, a <laughs> it's been quite a journey, but it's interesting how all the way along, you know, the departments, for instance, that you've worked in are more along that, you know, urban and regional planning, which makes total sense with some of the topics that you've been studying. <laughs> like housing in Istanbul and and now what you're what you did in uh, Waterloo before and now what's one of your projects so I'd actually like to ask you because you have two active research projects based at two different institutions right now one of course here at Queen's University and then the other one at the University of Waterloo and they seem very much connected so perhaps you can speak to both as they relate to some of the questions that you put in sort of your overview for me like who are international students in Canada what are some of the financial and housing challenges they face and how can policy and institutions better support international students so so let's start first with your project at the University of Waterloo and there of course you are an my understanding is an adjunct assistant professor there mm -hmm. and your project is looking at making a home in off-campus housing mm -hmm. learning from international student families mm -hmm. so can you explain that a little bit more for absolutely. us yes absolutely the aim of this project and you you shared the title already uh, it's about bringing visibility to international student families mm -hmm. so often like we we started this project with this 
stereotype of an international, who is an international student in Canada, right? Um, often when we think about it, uh, we think this person who is young, single often, you know, or unpartnered without kids or dependents right. who are privileged because they can afford this education with higher tuition fees um, and who are hypermobile, uh, perhaps, because they can come and go and travel. Uh, so this is kind of a stereotype. This is, can be the case, of course. We, we see uh, students like this as well. But yes. I think this stereotype overshadows other nuances to international students, like the right. demographics of international students is really uh, changing and diversifying in a good way. Uh, but I think uh, these projects, like ours and many others, uh, looked into the depths uh, through in-depth interviews with international students and their families as well to kind of bring out and highlight those issues and um, and challenge common stereotypes of international students. You know, which and I think which I think is really really important. Mm-hmm. But one of the other things, I mean, the topic is, you know, mm-hmm. the, the housing part. Yeah. I mean, affordable housing for students in Canada right now is a bit of a hot topic it is. It's <laughs> because good. it's an issue across the board, you know, across the country. Mm-hmm. So, you Absolutely. know. Um, so the other thing, as you already mentioned, in um, the public eye, and currently we've been seeing on the headlines, you know, and news all over the place, International students are coming, flooding university towns, taking away all the affordable housing and good-paying jobs, perhaps. So we need to cap. We need to stop them coming. And I can understand uh, that frustration or that, you know, confusion, perhaps. Confusion, uh, I think it is. Yeah, uh, because I think with or without international students, there is an affordability problem in Canada, housing affordability problem. Correct. You can't blame one group. No, and international students are also perhaps victim of this problem as much as any other, you know, Canadian here living in Canada. Uh, and and I think we, if we need to blame someone, it's a really deep-rooted problem. It has a lot to do with, you know, uh, how housing is treated as a commodity, as an investment product, and right. hoarded in the hands of certain, you know, investment companies or groups. Like this is, this is an, it's, it's uh, perhaps beyond my uh, research area, but as a, former international student, I can say that I've been through also really difficulty, you know, finding housing, affording housing in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is a shared problem. Yes, students shouldn't be scapegoated for that. <laughs> and and I think the added issue is, uh, you were alluding to this early, I mean, the, there's an expectation when international students come here, they're coming by themselves. <laughs> but when, particularly when it comes to graduate studies, more often than not, they've got at least a partner coming with them, and if not, two or three kids as well. Mm-hmm. So that makes finding housing and affordable housing even harder. Absolutely. So, in fact, in one in five international students is estimated to live with their spouses, partners, and children during their studies in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, um, however, these families are often invisible. You know, 
we tend to attend to the international students themselves because, you know, universities are responsible for the students and their education and their experiences, which is understandable. But in students are responsible for their dependents, for their children. So right. uh, people do not have always linear life paths. And a mature international student population in Canada is is uh, uh, rising, so growing. Uh, and we'll see more and more students coming here with um, uh, already, you know, having um, multiple degrees in their countries, having uh, work experiences, uh, and having also caring responsibilities. So they have international education, you know, aspirations, but as well as that, they want to make a home in Canada when they come together. So uh, the needs uh, of these student families are a little bit different than what we do see in kind of a generic international student, let, let me say. So... Yeah, so how, so how does that work then? Because, I mean, usually residences at universities are predominantly for undergrads, and there may be some put aside, um, some housing put aside for, say, graduate students. But the, a lot of graduate students have to go and get accommodation or finding homes off campus. Yeah. How, how, is this, how is this making it even harder for the international students with their families? So what we've been uh, currently what have you found? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so currently we've we've conducted um, interviews with families in the Waterloo region. Right. And what we've been seeing is that, as you've mentioned, there the um, number of uh, homes that are provided uh, through university in the Waterloo context is uh, kind of helps only a really fraction of the population who need housing so they are competing with basically any newcomer any um, immigrant family and and Mm -hmm. local domestic you know um, uh, families in in the housing market for a rental however you know expectations for uh, from landlords or in the market the the standard is like you need to have a, a background a credit background uh, or history you need to have job or at least the proof of income in a way you need to have guarantors um all this like let me like how can i frame it like all the necessary requirements documents and files and everything that is based in Canadian context, which doesn't right. so much apply to international stu- students coming all, from all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they are sometimes told to pay uh, six months or even yeah. a year in advance to secure a place and with higher rents, of course. And because they're coming from abroad and they don't have anywhere to lend in in the first place, they um, stay in temporary rentals hotels, Airbnbs, and I've seen a family, for example, who have been living in an Airbnb for the last year because they couldn't Couldn't get anything else. Anything else. They are using all their savings and they are sending two kids to primary school so they can't really move a lot. So it it was a really challenging situation living out of boxes and suitcases uh, all year. And I think this is half the problem, right? Because when if you can find affordable and decent housing, 
if you've got a family, you've got to think about where the kids are going to go to school. Is it yeah. a reputable school? The other thing you've got to think about, if I'm bringing my spouse and family, can I find a community where they can feel comfortable in as well? I mean, the student themselves can create community at the university and, and get to know different other students, but it's the, the family, the dependents. Mm-hmm. We've got to make them happy too. Otherwise, our students are going to be worrying the whole time about, is my family okay? As opposed to thinking about, I'm here to do my research. Absolutely. Some of the interviewees were telling me about like how they uh, sometimes they spend a week only worrying about kids and and housing and home and domestic work and everything that they can't really make time and space for their grad studies which should be at probably at the core of their journey here but uh, but also it's understandable in a sense because students here are not you know coming out of the blue like it is um there is this rapid rise in the number of international students but we cannot extract that from policy decisions that facilitate it right we in canada it is promoted it is government for for the last decades or and so through policies facilitated this arrival Mm -hmm. and um we almost like connected education to permanent residency as a pathway and 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 it it is inviting and it is a good thing uh, because we also see that international students are seen as ideal immigrants because they have at least they know one official at least one official language they are trained in canadian education system right um, and they are almost like they integrate into the um, fabric of society in a way through neighborhoods through their relationships and they make it like uh, so their educational they be successful is mm. for them to be successful however they are prepared they are also i think coming here for precarity for the most part they are really vulnerable and they cannot for example benefit from certain uh, services uh, in terms of settlement that right. are provided to economic immigrants that are provided to express entry residents and refugees so this is a group that are left i think in a limbo they are temporary but they yes. need to be immigrants it's it's a really liminal time and space that they are in and they're it's really confusing and hard for them and I think I mean you've you've hit the nail on the head and of course you know we we can see that I mean if if people aren't seeing this then they've got their eyes shut um so we are seeing this and and I think you brought up a good point too about you know some of the landlords are taking advantage mm-hmm. of them and we know there's those that try and scam and particularly trying to pay money up front and they may not even have seen the place. So there's those sorts of people that the international students are getting hit with when they are arriving, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But then this is actually a bit of a segue into your project for your postdoc, which is titled International Student Indebtedness in Canada. Mm -hmm. But here you're not just looking at the fact that, you know, maybe the funding packages don't quite, well, funding packages are meant to offset costs, not be a total wage necessarily but of course those funding packages are for the student 
not to cover a family. Mm -hmm. So there's that part of it. But this is not what you're talking about. You're talking about here in this, if I've understood it correctly, are those, I actually want to call them like piranhas or pariahs who even before they've arrived are sort of giving them false false information and which is end up costing them a lot of money so maybe could you talk a little bit about your postdoc project international student indebtedness in canada what do you mean by that absolutely so this this uh, research kind of evolved uh, through our earlier research with international student families i've been hearing a lot about how they fund and i've been asking you know how do they financially make it? And then I realized that a lot of students come to Canada with uh, through borrowing in their home countries, loans, uh, borrowing from relatives, or their families are mortgaging their homes or land or farms to send their kids to Canada. And this is uh, not only about this small group of, you know, international student families, but the entire international student population I'm talking about. And it, yeah, a part of it is about how actually international education in Canada is expensive, right? Because um, our international students are coming from countries in the global south majority, coming from India and China, but uh, also uh, we see Latin America and Africa uh, rising numbers. So with really compared to Canadian currency, lower currency. So they they have to cobble up, they have to find the funding, save the funding, at least to cover their initial year. And when they come here, they are allowed to work 20 hours on campus, on off campus, but there is a cap. That cap was uh, removed during the pandemic to kind of address the shortages in Canadian labor market. So it they, it uh, somehow benefited international students as well. They could work as many hours as they wanted, but I, also it's questionable, you know, how many hours a student can work. They, they have to get their studies. Yeah, but yeah, they they were allowed to work as many as they wanted, but it, that cap will come back by the end of December this year. So the idea is that they have to be prepared to cover their tuition and they have to be prepared to work and pay uh, other other uh, necessities to afford living in Canada. Right. But as I said, they have these debt responsibilities, majority of those uh, students that I've been engaging with. And, but this research is still in the, at the initial stage. Another option here is that 75% of Canadian domestic students are borrowing from government, like uh, federal funds are there for them to kind of cover their tuition and uh, expenses during education. But these funds are not an option for international students. Right. A conventional banking system, again, requires uh, guarantors, signatories, and all these background system, support system for someone to be able to borrow for education. So that that kind of option also goes away and not uh, there. So international students tend to borrow uh, from these, I think they call themselves alternative, I call Mm -hmm. them predatory lenders. They are these emerging almost like um, venture capital 
companies, small firms that are geared towards international students funding their education. Right. But with really high interest rates and they are almost like tying students' futures. They sign agreements to give a percentage of their future income when they graduate. So it it is kind of a very binding and a very questionable, I think, platform. And it's not really that much regulated because uh, there are always these, you know, segues and (laughs) uh, ways to perhaps find uh, business goes on. So I am looking at this, these lending practices in Canada, uh, and for I focus on uh, socioeconomic impacts of this predatory lending on international students' experiences. Are, are they lending this money from companies within Canada, or are they doing both mm-hmm. Canada and their home country? Oh, um, so. The, so there are, it is a kind of composition of like, they are borrowing from banks in their home countries or their families borrow. And then when they come here, they borrow from these private lenders and these right. lenders are not based in Canada necessarily. They, they, right. they're based in the United, United States. They, they can be based in anywhere. <laughs> this is because, you know, capital moves quickly around the world and they can, you know, they can be anywhere. Publish companies, absolutely. And then in Canada, so they have, they have, that's why that responsibility is both in the North America as well as from their home countries that they have to pay back and they feel responsible. Um, Canadian Bureau of International Education ha- uh, conducted this survey um, two years ago, maybe, and they had this question about, you know, uh, how many of those students come with uh, debt responsibilities and they, they feel responsible to pay back. Seven to five percent of students um, responded. The survey said that they uh, have and they feel like they are obliged to do that. So mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is that when they are working here, they are working to pay not only, you know, to afford living here in Canada, but also they think that responsibilities everywhere. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the work that you're doing, both your project at Waterloo and, and this project here really highlights how precarious an international student is here in terms of their finances. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have the right finances, it's very hard to find um, housing particularly when it's difficult to get already and then again it, it's also difficult to pay your everyday living costs let alone paying these uh, extraordinary lending interest rates that, that come in so they really are picking on as you, you sort of alluded to before uh, uh, you know the international student becomes quite a vulnerable population here mm-hmm. and it ties back to the first topic we were talking about stereotypes so international students uh, were thought to be or considered to be this you know wealthy coming from wealth and privilege and prestige so they could afford in any cost right so Mm -hmm. all these purpose-built student accommodations offering you know comfort and offering these luxuries perhaps living for students it it perhaps they target a certain segment of this mm-hmm. community, this uh, student population, but 
the majority of students are not anymore coming from, they are coming from underprivileged and they are coming from um, often poverty. Uh, and uh, even not, if not poverty, when, when, we, when I ask about their, for example, family income back uh, in their countries, students tell me that it is less than some of the families, less than 12,000 Canadian dollars compared to you know canada right entire family earns income Uh, so they they are unable to afford education in i mean they these families they cannot support through their income a student to study in canada so other financial options come into picture in in that way yeah, it's, it's interesting, um, and I know we're going to be running out of time soon. I mean, one could play the devil's advocate and saying, look, if you really can't afford to come, why do you? Mm-hmm. But we would never want to stop someone furthering their education. I mean, that's the easy answer back, right, mm-hmm. to that. And, of course, we do want international students here because of mm-hmm. the great discussions and new insights that you can get from people around the world on, on certain projects. Yeah. or in every project really it's good to ha- get a different perspective yeah. so we do want international students it's a great question i think i and i understand that perspective but international students as you also said it is they are called the code an essential pillar of canada's long-term competitiveness code in in the canada's former minister of international trade uh, right mentions because Canada's international education is a trade sector. It is uh, founded as a trade sector. So students are kind of positioned in in these policy debates as an economic benefit to kind of spur Canada's economic growth and they strengthen Canada's pool of skilled laborers. So, and they bring about 22 billion uh, dollars per year to Canada's economy. It's not a number that can be, you know, cut out right away. So there are dependencies in both ends, I think. Uh, Uh uh, And international students pay almost 40% of all tuition fees in Canada. So, and they have, they pay about four to six times more than domestic uh, tuition fees. Uh, so it is complicated, I think, because mm-hmm. both uh, higher education institutions, especially for-profit ones, need international students. This is an economy. It's not on, so education, international education, as wonderful as it is, and we celebrate it today, and we'll celebrate it next week. We will, but also we need to uh, consider that it is an economy. It's an industry. Yeah. It's a global industry that countries are fighting and uh, competing against each other to get the, as many students as possible. I'm sure there's lots you want to come from mm-hmm. to be able to achieve from both your projects because uh, they really are highlighting quite an, an, an unhealthy scenario for our international students, mm-hmm. which I know at each university which we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, how can we make this a little bit better other than just say, yeah, come in here, let's grab your money. Of course, it's not quite the same in grad studies. Uh, that was nice that we were able to change the tuition for the PhD students yeah. to everyone being the same, like PhD 
domestic and international it's the same tuition to help offset and some of that was because we know they're not here by themselves they are with families and they're here for four years mm-hmm. so you know little things like that but I'm sure there's a lot more that you know institutions are looking at to do but this has created a great discussion and I'm sure people have lots and lots of questions I just want to really thank you for coming on the show and highlighting these things you know some people say oh it's just all anecdotal well no here's here's some proof (laughs) so you know here it is let's let's lay it on the table for everybody yeah I, i appreciate this thank you for this opportunity to you know share yeah i want to say international students out there that they our international cent at queen's international center uh, they have student advisors universities are really doing their best to help support uh, these students through their journey with you know how they can be eligible to work their supposed work permits per- pathway for permanent residency so uh, go and yeah take all the help the support exactly. that you can take yeah Well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I know it's been a bit tricky, (laughs) but we got there in the end. (laughs) And I hope you get to enjoy the conference as well, if if any of the ones that you can attend. Uh, I know you're in Waterloo, but let's, let's see how you can do with that. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Colette, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. And that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. But don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CFRC Podcast. Just type in a Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.